You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When you meet someone for the first time, one question they'll inevitably ask you is, what do you do? As if the job you perform for eight hours a day is all that defines you. It doesn't matter if you're also a spouse, a parent, a dungeon master, or a glassblower. All they care about is what you get paid to do for a living. The thing is, we are so much more than our occupations. We, as human beings, contain multitudes. We have passions and talents and people we love who fulfill us and enrich our lives. Well, Elizabeth Sagru didn't have any of those things. She was born in Ireland in the mid-1700s, and from what little is known about her, she had a heck of a temper. Her husband, a farmer, died suddenly, leaving her to raise her two small children alone. Without a single cent to her name, Elizabeth was evicted from her home. It's not clear why she chose to move to the town of Roscommon, 186 miles away, but she and her children walked all the way there to start their lives over. Her youngest, sadly, did not make the trip. He succumbed to starvation and exposure and was most likely buried along the road. Elizabeth and her older child, Padraig, moved into a tiny house in Roscommon. They resorted to panhandling and rubbaging through trash to get by. Occasionally, they'd also steal what they could from unsuspecting neighbors. The Sagrus developed quite the reputation around town. For one, Elizabeth's bad temper made her prone to violent outbursts. Padraig bore the brunt of these, and around 1775, he left home for good to serve in the British Army. He traveled to North America to serve the crown. He wrote to his mother about his travels over the years, but his departure only sent Elizabeth spiraling inward. She got angrier and spent much of her time in her home. Occasionally, she would take in a lodger, earning a few pennies for a night's stay. One night, a man appeared at her doorstep asking for room and board. He was finely dressed and carried with him a small purse full of gold coins. Elizabeth let him in as she had done for others, allowing him to use her bed while she slept elsewhere. But this time, she took note of the coin purse he had with him and how all that gold could do wonders for her. She could finally afford proper food, maybe even a better house. The more she thought about it, the darker her thoughts grew. That night, as the man slept, she approached the bed with a knife in her hand and stabbed him. She then relieved his body of the gold coins. As she went through his pockets, however, she came across some identification papers that he was also carrying. Elizabeth read them carefully. The man she had killed was none other than Padraig Segru, her eldest son. Filled with grief over the loss of her only son, she fled into the night and confessed her crimes for all to hear. 
She was arrested, tried, and sentenced to death for her crimes, alongside a rogues gallery of 25 other criminals. There were thieves and vandals, including children who had gone around knocking down fence posts for fun. Elizabeth, Lady Betty as she had come to be known, would be hanged. A large crowd gathered around the gallows to watch her pay for her crime. There was just one problem. The hangman was homesick. With no one else willing to take on the job and a restless crowd waiting to see some executions, Betty volunteered to do the deed. One by one, she sent the other 24 prisoners ahead of her to their deaths as she released the trap door below them. Her performance that day left an impression on the authorities. In fact, she had inadvertently auditioned to be the regular hangman's replacement, as he eventually died from his illness. Lady Betty lived the rest of her life in jail. She had a garden she tended each day, and she covered her walls in charcoal sketches that she drew of the people she killed. Her life was difficult and tragic from beginning to end, and she died in prison in 1807 and was buried in an unmarked grave. The story surrounding her death is questionable as well. According to some, she died of natural causes. However, the prevailing theory is that she was killed by another prisoner who hit her with a rock. Elizabeth Sagru never got her happy ending, but she did eventually find peace. It's just a shame. So many people had to die for her to get there. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. When British Commander Robert Ross marched his army into Washington, D.C. the night of August 24th of 1814, he wasn't expecting a ghost town. You see, President Madison and all of his government officials had already vacated the city in preparation for the invasion. With no one to stop him, Ross saw his opportunity for British vengeance and ordered the burning of the White House and the Capitol building, which at that time housed the Congressional Library in the North Wing. It had no chance against British rockets and gunpowder, creating a blaze that claimed 3,000 books and maps. One of the few pieces to survive was an accounts and receipts book from 1810, taken as a souvenir by Sir George Cockburn. When the war finally ended in February of 1815, President Madison returned to D.C., but found the city a bit lacking in amenities. The White House and the Capitol building lay in ruins, and the books within nothing but ash. And that's when former President Thomas Jefferson returned to action, a veteran of this kind of quandary, if you will. That's because in 1770, when Thomas Jefferson was just 27 years old, his family home burned down, taking with it the collection of books he had already amassed at his young age. Naturally, it was the books Jefferson lamented losing the most. So when more books were lost to flames in 1814 in D.C., this time with Jefferson in a position to help, that's exactly what he did, offering his 6,500 volumes to the nation for any price they deemed fair. Problem solved, right? Well, not necessarily. After all, this is politics, and nothing ever comes easy. Before Congress could accept Jefferson's offer and make a deal, they first had to pass a bill that allowed them to do so. And in a tune eerily familiar to the modern ear, this bill did not pass unanimously. Not even close. In fact, some Federalists didn't even want the books, one of whom claimed that they contained too much of Jefferson's, and I quote, infidel philosophy. So when the time came to vote, there was only one thing that counted, a majority along party lines. But they got it. With Congress out of the way, the U.S. was clear to repair the damage. They paid Jefferson $23,950 for his collection, roughly half a million dollars today. Now, before you go accusing Jefferson of cashing in on the situation for a quick payday, remember that Jefferson offered to sell for, and I quote, whatever valuation they deemed fair. Besides, he had his own bills to pay, too. Over half of that sum was used to pay off debts to William Short, who funded Jefferson's nail manufactory, and to John Barnes, who covered Jefferson's kind donation to a friend in need. 
By May of 1815, just two months after the conclusion of the war, Jefferson's books were packed up in their original cases that they were shelved in at Monticello, loaded into ten wagons, and carted off to their new home in the capital. But the story still doesn't end there. In fact, you could say that there was still more fuel to throw on the fire. On Christmas Eve of 1851, the library burned down yet again. This time at no fault of the British, but rather a faulty chimney flue. The fire destroyed nearly two-thirds of the then 55,000 volumes. And yes, that included most of what Jefferson provided in 1815. Not all is lost, though. Remember the account book taken by Sir George Cockburn as a souvenir? In 1940, it was gifted back to the United States government and restored to its rightful place in the new and improved Library of Congress, now in its own building. There, it sits alongside over 100 million other books, all hoping that that old adage of third time's a charm holds true. And in case you're wondering, despite the new building being built in 1897, it has indeed been recently updated, with modern fire prevention measures, including a sprinkler system. Because, you know, just in case. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.